Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. Hey, I want to teach you something new. Uh, I want to teach you how to say Merry Christmas in sign language. You ready? You're going to need both arms for this. Okay? So Merry Christmas. Christmas. So uh, we have our ASL uh, interpreter right here, our deaf community. We can uh, uh, now say Merry Christmas. And I hope along the way learn even more. Do you know there are more deaf people in Austin than UT students? Yeah. So anyway, as we grow our... A community of those who are deaf, just know during 11 on Sundays, uh, they're right up here in front and would love to meet you. All right, let's do it one more time. You ready? Merry Christmas. There you go. All right. Well, I want to teach you other things too. In this season, as we look at the Christmas holidays, do you know there's lots of words that we hear at just Christmas time that may have become so familiar we've lost the meaning behind it. There's one, uh, a word in a song we often sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Does anyone know what Emmanuel actually means? God with us, that's right. So we named our dog Emmanuel, dog with us. She's a Christmas puppy. That may be sacrilegious, I don't know. But I want us to talk for a moment in this time that we have together about the beauty of the true Christmas story. So if you grew up in the Bible Belt, you grew up in churchianity, there's some things you have to unlearn in order to actually experience the fullness of the story of Jesus, the fullness of who Jesus is and who he invites us to become. And so Emmanuel, God with us, that Christmas story is the opportunity for us to experience the presence of God every day in our life. And so let's as we have throughout this month, look at the Christmas story in the scriptures. Even while in the womb, Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, comes to her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, the forerunner, a prophet before the Messiah Jesus. And when Elizabeth sees Mary, Elizabeth says this, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Joy. Little baby John the Baptist experienced joy just with the presence of his cousin Jesus coming up. I don't know, I probably shouldn't do this, but anytime I see two pregnant women talking, I can't help but ask, did one of your babies jump when the other one walked up? They don't think it's nearly as funny as I think some of you just did. Don't, I'm not saying to do that, by the way. But there's this moment where little baby John the Baptist felt joy. And then Mary rejoiced. Those words, joy and rejoice, those are Christmas words, but they don't have to just be something we experience at Christmas. We sing the song, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And that's not just something we celebrate at Christmas time. It was the news the angels brought the shepherds in Bethlehem. Listen to this, Luke 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. That first Christmas, joy. Joy himself coming to earth. Jesus, there at the creation, there before time began, and yet leaving heaven to be with us. He came in joy, he lived in joy, he invited his followers, his church to live in God's joy, and that joy has changed the world. And yet, in the midst of this, we're trying to find presents, we're trying to organize dinners, we're trying to, in the midst of the busyness, go to the Christmas parties, the mandated corporate Christmas party, and we're fighting traffic, even outside of town. Things are just busier, right? This last week, my wife and I went out to Fredericksburg. It's an annual pilgrimage. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but Austin is a little bit different than the rest of Texas. Have you noticed that? <laughs> and so that's why it's just an annual pilgrimage. And we drive out, and we're coming back from Fredericksburg, and we're going down one of these windy farm-to-market roads. And a truck pulls out behind us. And my wife says... Eric, why don't you just pull over? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, the truck eventually is going to want to pass you. Why don't you just pull over so you don't have to worry about that? And I said, sweetheart, you don't understand. I'm the one who passes. <laughs> and I didn't realize how much I sounded like Walter White from Breaking Bad in that moment. <laughs> but you're fighting traffic outside of the city. You're fighting traffic in the midst of the city. And yet, we lose the time we celebrate joy. And joy is what's changing the world. See, it's a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. So how do we become people who have a joy that transcends our circumstances? I think it starts off in how we view God. We did a whole series on this last year. But the mental picture we have in our mind of who God is will determine how we actually live our life. It will determine whether or not we trust him, whether or not we'll follow him. And I think the biggest reason we don't trust God is because we have a messed up view of who he is. How do you view God? Do you see God as this angry, frowning, upset father who's always out to get you when you do something wrong? Or maybe you see him more as removed, emotionless, an old, gray, misty man. Or do you see God as he is, the source of life and love, full of excitement and adventure? What's your picture of God? I mean, even the story, the Christmas story is filled with all sorts of circumstances that do not sound like joy, and yet over and over and over, the, the people in the story experienced joy, and they rejoiced. But, but listen again, if you, if you don't know the rest of the story, I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth could not get pregnant, and suddenly, miraculously, they did, and yet Zechariah, the father, was unable to speak for months. And then this little boy, John the Baptist, who was known as a prophet among his people, lived out in the wilderness on his own, eating locusts and honey and wearing clothes of camel hair, completely an outsider, an outcast. Eventually, he was beheaded as he spoke truth to power. Doesn't sound like a joyful story. Or Mary, this young virgin who was pregnant, 
and at the same time betrothed to be married to an older Joseph. Can you imagine the shame people would heap on her, assuming the worst about her? Even Joseph was planning to divorce her until an angel intervened to keep him from doing so. And you think, okay, great, everything, crisis averted. But then they're told they have to go to Bethlehem for a census, and they get there for a long journey, and finally get there, and there's no room in any of the places where they wanted to stay. This story is filled with all sorts of terrible things happening, and yet their view of God was one they could trust in spite of their circumstances. They had a joy that transcended these terrible moments. See, God was intervening in time and space to rescue us. And that joy superseded no matter what difficulties they might have experienced. What is your view of God? I want to give us a little quiz. Right? It's finals time of year for our friends in high school. and College just finished up. And so I want to give you a little quiz. And I want to see what your view of God is. Just be open and honest, just in your heart. You're not going to shout out the answer. But according to the Bible, what would be the most accurate picture of God? All right, here's the first one. Since the Texans and the Cowboys are actually pretty good and the Longhorns have done well, we'll do a football question. How's that sound? If you scored the winning touchdown in a bowl game, God would be most pleased with you if you, A, calmly handed the ball to the referee, B, kneeled down, folding your hands and praying, or C, doing the NFL jig before God might shock you. The scriptures tell stories of God is pleased with our dancing. It says here in 2 Samuel 6, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city, Michael saw King David, that's King David's wife, leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Have you ever noticed that some people are so miserable, they're mad when you're happy? But see, our joy is actually something that God wants us to experience, celebrating, dancing, enjoying life. All right, that's question one. Question two, if God were invited to a party, would he more likely, A, sit in a corner with a frown because people were having too much fun, B, call the cops to shut it down and tell everyone to go home and read Leviticus, or C, be in the center of it, enjoying the company of all the guests, even refilling the drinks? Now, John 5, 19 tells us, that the son only does what the father does. And so we have the representation of what God would do by looking at the life of Jesus. And Jesus was known for being in the middle of the party. In fact, he had a bad reputation. People referred to him as a drunkard. He was not a drunkard. He would just spend time with people who had bad reputations. And so the scriptures do, do tell us not to get drunk or high, that we should actually only allow the spirit to be what guides us. But Jesus was in those parties. The answer is C, celebrating with us. In fact, his first miracle was making even better wine than that, what they started with at the wedding. All right, so maybe you, you've gotten one or two of these, right? Let's see how you do on number three. Joe, a thieving, immoral drug addict, prays his first pathetic prayer for God's help. So... A, God turns his head away in disgust and anger. Or B, God thinks, prove it, clean up your act, then talk to me about it. Or C, in his joy, he commands all of heaven to celebrate and throw a party because Joe's coming back. Well, we know the answer to this one is also C. Don't you wish the SAT was this easy? 
Luke 15 says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right, I'll give you one more. If God could fully have his way with you, he'd A, send you somewhere you didn't want to go doing something you hated. Or B, take away all your fun and make you marry someone you weren't attracted to. Or C, make your life so full of joy you would want to follow him. Once again, the answer is C. Even if you got all of these right, I wonder if deep down, some of those other ideas of God are inside of you. See, John 17.3 tells us what Jesus' prayer for those who follow him, I pray that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you see God as longing for you to experience joy, his joy? That's who God is. That's who he wants you to become, someone that experiences his joy, and through you, joy is felt by others. God's life is far more interesting and exciting than ours. Do you really believe that? Are you willing to trust him in that way? I'm convinced That most of the time, we struggle to trust him, we struggle to follow him with full abandon, doing what he says, because we don't believe that he has what's best for us in mind. See, the problem with us as human beings is not that we're too happy or too pleasure-seeking and God wants to sober us up and get us more serious. The problem is actually that we're not nearly happy enough. The problem is that we're actually going to the wrong things, sex and drugs and all sorts of ways to just feel a little bit better, but we're not even close to experiencing the fullness of God's joy. Those are temporary and not nearly as fulfilling. Unless you seek your pleasure in God's joy, you will not find all the joy that you seek. So all right, how do we experience this joy? It's why Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. God came to be with us, not just 2,000 years ago, but every moment of every day. And so Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, knew his son was a fulfillment of the prophecy told 400 years before. And he said this of that first Christmas, talking to his son, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord, Jesus, to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, the Messiah came to bring forgiveness, that we could have a right relationship with God in spite of the evil in our heart, in spite of the wicked things that we've done, we can be forgiven. We can experience peace with God and a peace with others. We can actually be made new. He joyfully forgives and takes back all who turn to him, all who ask him to do so. And then we stay connected to him. We stay connected to him, and that's how we experience joy, not just at Christmas, but every day, day after day. John 15 says this, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, when we stay connected to his love, we experience his joy. That becomes the norm. Not joylessness, not stress, not easily annoyed, but joy. Jesus said, as the Father loves me, so have I loved you. Now stay connected. Soak your mind in that love. I love this image Jesus gives us because a tree doesn't have to work really hard to bear fruit. An apple tree, if it just is in the sun, it's in the, it receiving the rain and the wind, it just bears fruit. It just happens. You don't see an apple tree just trying to bear fruit. It just naturally does so. When we stay connected to God, we exhibit, we experience the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, lacking nothing. And so in order to do that, we need to meditate on his love. See, some of us have a wrong view of meditation. The scripture's version of meditation is filling your mind with what is true about you, with what is true about God's love for you. It's not emptying your mind of all that distracts you. It's filling your mind of all that's true, letting what's true replace the negative thoughts that are inside of us. You see, you are already more loved than you can imagine. Learn to live in God's love and let his joy flow in you and through you. You know, I'm so excited. And of course, Christmas season, it's gonna be an amazing Sunday. And Monday night, Christmas Eve, it's gonna be beautiful. And then in two weeks, James Wilson, who many of you have heard some of his poetry, he'll be sharing a, a message. And there's two morning services. We won't have a six o'clock on that day. But he's sharing his own story of growing up without a father. And it's a reminder to all of us how often we live as if we're orphans, but that God wants to be the heavenly father that we've always dreamed he would be, that we've always longed for. And then in January, we're doing a series on hope and anxiety. We live in an anxious world. And what if we can learn to experience hope in the midst of that these next several weeks, our hope is that you'll experience God's love so that you'll be so transformed that even the things that have kept you and held you will lose their appeal. That living a new life will be what this new year becomes. Jesus said, John 15, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. He's saying, if you obey me, if you trust me, if you do what I describe as what's best in the scriptures, you will remain in my love. So keep God's commands, which are all about loving God and loving people. In fact, he says this in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so see what happens is when we say, Jesus, I need what you did on the cross to count for me, forgive me, make me new, help me stay connected to you, then what happens is we begin to hear from him through the scriptures what he'd have us do. And when we obey, when we do what we know God wants us to do, we continue to hear his voice. But that's not the only way he speaks to us. Sometimes he puts his thoughts in our mind. You know, I can tell if it's a thought of my own or a thought from God or even a thought from darkness. Anytime I have a thought that requires courage or selflessness, and as long as it's consistent with the scripture, I know that's a thought from God. 
when I have a thought to do something good for a neighbor, when I have a thought to sacrifice in some way for my family, I know that's not my own thought. And when I act on what God is prompting me to do, I can continue to hear his voice more and more clearly. See, some of us think we're struggling to hear from God, but the problem isn't that God is not speaking, it's that we've stopped listening, stopped trusting, stopped doing the last thing he's asked of us. And God wants to speak to us even more than we want to hear from him. And so as we saturate our mind in what's true from the scriptures, when we become more and more aware of who we are in Christ, we are more able to live the kind of life that he wants us to live. And that's what actually changed the world. It was the transformation in the hearts of those who followed Jesus that transformed the Roman Empire. We listened to some quotes from ancient writers, historians, not followers of Jesus, who were just kind of amazed by how these early Christians lived their life. It was so countercultural, even countercultural to maybe what you've experienced from Christianity. Listen to what Aristotle. Aristides said to Emperor Hadrian in AD 138, every morning in all hours, on account of the goodness of God towards them, these followers of Jesus render praise and laud him over their food and their drink. They render him thanks. And if any righteous person of their number passes away from this world, they rejoice and give thanks to God. And they follow his body as though he were moving from one place to another. They abstain from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come under another world. As for their servants or handmaids or children, they persuade them to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they become so, they call them without distinction brothers. When they see the stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as over a true brother. You can just feel he's confused. Why are they so kind? Why are they trying to live lives of such honor and kindness and goodness? See, what God is inviting us to do is experience a new kind of life, a new way to be human. We don't have to just default to stress and joylessness and hopelessness, but instead experience the fullness of life and joy and love and peace that he designed us to experience. It's what he wants. In fact, if you think about it, in this season of giving gifts, I mean, we give gifts to each other out of gratitude for the gift that God gave us coming to rescue us. But you know what the gift that God wants from each of us? He wants you. He wants you to trust him. He wants a relationship with you and with me. And that's what begins that connection. And what happens as we give our lives and we trust him and we go through each day seeking to do what he prompts us to do, we will become more and more connected to him. And it's hard because we're surrounded with all sorts of annoying people, especially around the holidays. I want to give you a little trick. Anytime someone does something that annoys you, that is your reminder to pray for them. You'll be amazed at how often you will be praying for these people in your life. But rather than being annoyed, start seeing them with the vantage point that God sees them. Look for ways that you can bless the people that he's already brought into your life. Now, this joy is not a Pollyanna. Act like everything's okay. Sometimes the world is just evil. It's painful. It's hurtful. 
It doesn't mean put on a happy face and pretend. God knows sorrow. In fact, Jesus was referred to as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God and the anger of God are just his temporary response to a fallen and evil world that will be banished forever when the world is finally set right. But joy is God's eternal destiny, his nature, and his purpose for creating us. You see, God's not bound by time, but he can experience time. And so he sees individual evils, and they grieve him and cause him sorrow. He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. But they don't erase or eradicate his infinite joys because he also sees from an eternal perspective. He sees when every wrong will be made right, when all things will have worked together for good. Because through the greatest evil, God can bring forth the greatest good for those whose hearts seek him. That's why Jesus could say this in Luke 6. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. As we love God by staying connected to his spirit, letting him guide us to do the next right thing, his promises are true. And he promises an eternal reward, an eternal joy. Here's another letter from the third century AD describing followers of Jesus. It says, they are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and yet they bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. See, it's this joy transcending circumstances that changed the world. And God invites you into this kind of joy. So that even when life is not going as you planned, it does not have to quench your joy. Though you might experience sorrow for the temporary evils and struggles of this short life, you can find a joy that surpasses that, knowing that you are right with God and connected to his love, loving others sacrificially, and it will be rewarded in the end. This fall, my father-in-law, who grew up quite poor, youngest of 11, they were sharecroppers here in Texas, he made something called syrup pie. Have you ever heard of syrup pie? It's pecan pie without pecans. Because when he was younger, they couldn't afford pecans, so they just would made syrup pie. And see, I want to just encourage you that, that some of us are feasting on syrup pie, and God has pecan pie for you instead. <laughs> you realize that you're allowing your circumstances to overtake your joy, but your joy can become what helps you transcend and overtake your circumstances. And here's something that really changed the way I understood God. God takes joy in you and me when we enjoy life with him. God wants you to be joyful. God removes all of our guilt through what Christ did for us on the cross so you can enjoy life with him and this gives him joy. It brings him happiness to See you enjoying life. I want to I want to read just a few passages of scripture, and I, if it helps you to hear it better by closing your eyes, you can do that. But I just want to I want to saturate your mind with what's true of how God sees you. Like in Jeremiah thirty two, where it says, "I will rejoice in doing good to them." That's God's heart for you. 
Or Psalm 147, the Lord's delight is in those who honor him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Or Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. When was the last time someone took such joy in you, they sang a song to you? I want you to think back. It it may have been your mom when you were little. That's how God sees you. Have you ever held a newborn? Maybe it was your little brother, your little sister. Maybe it was your niece or your nephew. Perhaps it was your own son or daughter. When you held that little one, weren't you amazed at how much love you felt for this little person? And they hadn't done anything quite yet to deserve your love, had they? In fact, they came in pretty selfish. It was all about them. Some of us are still working to outgrow that, but there's this, at the very beginning, for some reason, when we hold a newborn, we have a glimpse of how God sees you and me, that unconditional love, a desire to sing over that little one. That's how he sees you. That's how Mary experienced holding Jesus. Or this verse in Psalm 84, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk with sincerity. He only wants to give good gifts, but only if you're ready to receive them. Open hands can hold more than clenched fists. Or finally, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured the cross, it says, because of the joy set before him. Do you know what that joy was? How could he endure such punishment and pain? The joy before him was knowing this sacrifice would be what allows you and me to become part of his family. You are the joy before him. I want to invite you in this season to consider growing Enjoy growing to trust God, stay connected to God. You can even think of it as giving God a gift this Christmas out of gratitude because of what he's done for us. What if that gift he wants you to give is trusting him in a new way? Maybe acting on those promptings, inviting someone to our Christmas services. What if it's reaching out to a neighbor, inviting him over for lunch? Perhaps it's becoming part of this generous community. You know, I just want to, in this moment, kind of celebrate the generosity of this group. John Ng mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you know, this last year we had more people raise money and set aside money and save up money to go on a trip to serve people all across the planet, all across America than we've ever had before. And we have more trips coming. In fact, we have a trip to Guatemala coming up over spring break. If you're interested, go to the Connect spot. Is that... Is gearing up to go. You know, just yesterday, our team that goes under the bridge to serve those without homes gave away 100 jackets and coats to children and adults that you donated. Isn't that great? <laughs> just last week, just last week, uh, dozens of you stayed late and put together 8,000 packs of food, meal packs for people in Haiti, 50,000 across all of our campuses. Isn't that amazing? 
You've been giving and serving so faithfully. And I want to encourage you to just pray. Perhaps that next step of trusting God is to give above and beyond towards what God wants to do at this time. I, some of you have had questions because we're talking about end of year giving and we're talking about 1% challenge. Let me just clarify for a moment. If you want to give to what God is doing here and through this local community, I want to encourage you to give above and beyond by the end of this month. You can text the word gateway to 77977. It'll take you to this link where you can choose gateway offering South Austin. That goes towards what we're doing here. And by the end of the month, a tax-deductible gift can help us continue to do what we're doing and even more so. And then the 1% challenge is an invitation to give 1% more of your income in the new year so that over the next 12 months, you're, you're giving towards our new campuses. And you would just choose, if you can go back to that same slide on the giving options, you would just choose the top option on that same page. Love everyone life by life, LXL, that's what that means. But that 1% challenge, when you came in, you may have received this last week, take this with you. You can read more, but the 1% challenge allows us to know, like a startup, how much do we have funding-wise to start these new campuses, paying it forward because others have paid it forward to us. By the way, so far, 132 people have taken the challenge, 126 people have taken the 1% challenge and have committed $260,000 already. Isn't that amazing? So if God puts that on your heart, maybe that's a way to trust him in the new year. Because our goal, we're already 32% there. Perhaps you're a part of answering that. What every one of us gave 1% more than we do now, we would easily meet that goal. What is God prompting you to do? Maybe it's to say yes to following him for the first time. Or, or maybe you followed him, but you've never let the world know that. Today, we're celebrating baptisms. It's 72 degrees in the lobby right now. That water feels real good. And even if it doesn't, it's really worth it. And you may be thinking, well, I came here and I wasn't planning on it, but if God has prompted you to do it, you know what? We'll give you a towel you can take home as a free gift. And those clothes will dry. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? Actually, I was baptized as a kid. Well, if that was a decision your parents made on your behalf, then you now, on your own behalf, deciding to be baptized as a symbol that you have been crucified to your old life. You've been forgiven of all that you've done because of Jesus. Then you're really honoring what they decided for you, what they hoped for you. Just ask God, how do you want me to trust you more? How do you want me to sacrifice? How do you want me to serve you, trust you, obey you? Because on the other side of our obedience is the joy that he has for us. Heavenly Father, would you help us to see more clearly how much you love us? Would you help us to see more clearly what's keeping us from experiencing the fullness of life? Would you give us the courage to let go of those things that we're holding on to? Would you give us the courage to say yes to you, not just for the first time, but on a daily basis, on an hourly basis? God, would you give us the courage to act on those promptings to become the people you've created us to be? The world needs us to be 